welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Just when I thought I was out, pull me back in. Trumpcast has been working hard to drop the bulk of its title since Joe Biden won the election in November. We promised to stay until this is over, and we were going to stay through the inauguration of the next president just to be on the safe side. But as the nation's capital is being fortified against the president of the United States and his foot soldiers, the definition of safe side has become somewhat complicated. So to answer your many questions about what will become of Trumpcast, the answer is the same as it's always been. We promise to stay until this is over. And while that won't include the post-presidency trials of our criminal president, may they be millions, it may indeed mean that sometime into Biden's presidency, as this second impeachment in the House goes forward and Trump gets a trial in the Senate and God willing, though damned unlikely, a conviction. To understand how we came to a second impeachment, to understand how we came to this stupefying pass, which looks a lot like civil war, I'm going to talk to David Weissman today. David Weissman is an Army veteran and a former Trump troll who once considered the very insurgents that stormed the Capitol last week, including the Proud Boys, they were his brothers in arms. He supported their causes and eagerly revved up for civil war. But unlike the insurgents for MAGA, Weissman had a change of heart in 2018 and started a process of de-radicalization that drew the attention of people like me, seeking to understand how America got to its undoing. His rejection of far-right views and practices and his embrace of the Democratic Party, sometimes I think he was a little too warm with us, made him among the many enemies of his former fellow travelers, including the ones currently trying to overthrow the U.S. government. David's come a long way, even since I spoke to him when he was only recently disillusioned with MAGA. He's now in school, feeling physically and emotionally healthy as he never did in his power trolling days. I should say I Zoomed with him at his college in Florida, where he's outside out of COVID concerns, so it's a bit breezy and loud where he is. You'll hear it in the audio. But it's very worth paying close attention to because I can't think of anyone who speaks so intimately to the seditious worldview passing as patriotism that may yet destroy the United States of America. Welcome, David. Hi, thank you for having me on. Words cannot describe what the last week has been, I think, for all of us. But what I'm hoping, because you have a unique view of what it is to be one of these people kind of gunning for civil war in the name of Donald Trump, the ones that stormed and held siege the Capitol one week ago. So what I'm hoping is that you can clarify the mindset of some of the insurgents. Those mindsets are so hard to understand for the rest of us. Maybe you can help illuminate them. Definitely. A lot of it has to do with the fear and indoctrination of right-wing media. The fear that, you know, Democrats are going to take, you know, their rights away, their freedoms away. I mean, you can see it on social media how you know, they're worried about their followers or their accounts being suspended. Uh, and they, they call that free speech, even though Twitter or other social media outlets have, you know, it's a private organization, you know, it's not what free speech, the First Amendment is about. But it's, that's why I keep saying it's indoctrination. They're being fed these lies on what they think what free speech is about. And, you know, it starts in fear and it's build up and build up and build up. 
and you know it's been building up for so many years but you know during president obama's presidency um you know the most 10 years uh, in you know and you know that fear turns to hate turns to anger because they just don't understand um outside of their bubble and mm-hmm. they think they're doing you know the patriarch work of you know in a country your sort of de-radicalization um, has been something we've talked about, you and I have talked about privately, and we've talked about on this show before, but I hadn't realized until you forwarded me a tweet that you've bravely left up of yours from 2017, where you also were kind of throwing in with the idea of civil war that was alive among the far right I- at that stage. So Trump was president then. Yes. And, and incidentally, 2017, both houses of Congress were in the hands of Republicans and Trumpites. So it was hard to imagine what the Civil War would be over or why anyone would be talking about a first strike from the right. But there it is. And maybe you can tell us about that particular period in your evolution. And also the figure you tag in that tweet is at Baked Alaska, someone who I had never heard of until this insurgency, um, who's a leader in the right-wing movement, and he isn't the only person you know of who went to the Capitol. So maybe you can talk to us about your evolution, beginning with that tweet in 2017, what led up to you wanting civil war, and also talk about some of these other figures around you, including Baked Alaska. Sure. Well, and again, a lot of it's fear and pace. And you know, especially when it comes to the Second Amendment and the Constitution, where you know you have the NRA and then you have conservative talking heads saying, "Oh, the, the Second Amendment is there to protect us from tyranny." And as we see, like, "Oh, Democrats want to take your rights away." So, where you know, and you know, when you know Democrats talk about gun reform and just regulations, but then these talking heads, these propagandists, are saying, "No, they actually want to take away your right guns." away from your arms. And that's where you see so many of these people saying, you know, from my cold, then hands, you know, comments like that. And it just gets mm-hmm. us so mm-hmm. built up. And, you know, we talk about, you know, there's a war coming and there's going to be a war and there's going to be a war, you know, because we think, you know, we see like, you know, at the time when I was a Trump supporter, we only seen the propaganda, propaganda pictures of like Black Lives Matter protest where, you know, the whole protest can be peaceful, but, you know, there's like one like bad incident they would generalize like the whole movement, uh, you know, with those like up with a photo. And mm-hmm. that's sort of like sort of the fear indoctrination that I talk about. And so we think, oh, there's going to be more needs to be around the country. So you got to arm yourselves. When you were picturing who to arm yourself against in 2017, were you picturing Hillary Clinton and people uh, and Barack Obama and people who looked like looked like them? Were you picturing lizard people? Were you picturing Black Lives Matter? Were you picturing um, immigrants? I mean, what did, like, to psych yourself up at night, you know, who did you think would be on the receiving end of your gun? Well, with me, me personally, I thought, like, would be, like, Muslims or, you know, Black Lives Matter, uh, especially, you know, when you're a Republican and a Jew, um, you know, you, defending Israel was always like a big talking point in the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, the, the conflict, you know, and that's why they say when, when people say any criticism of Israel is anti-Semitic. So to my mind, that's like who like the major enemy 
um, you know, I was a conservative Jew, conservative Republican. And, you know, at the time, you know, I thought, like, you know, why isn't President Obama condemning Islam? Why isn't Hillary Clinton condemning Islam? Because, you know, we're mm-hmm. thinking that the whole religion is bad. It's, you know, the whole religion is radicalized. And so, so we thought that, you know, that whole cabal of George Soros, you know, deep state, you know, we thought that, that was, they were all in together. As enemies of Israel and allies of jihadis? Yeah, correct. Globalism, um, jihadis, Black Lives Matter, you know. Black Lives Matter. Because, we, you know, we believe in the American and Israel alliance. Like, those are the two strong, you know, strongest friends that, as a conservative Jew, you know, that's what we thought was very important to us. Your constellation of beliefs that include globalists, I mean, at that time, that include globalists and kind of the Davos, George Soros crowd. Well, the far-right discourse, and I saw you smile, I should tell listeners that you smiled at the mention of lizard people, because lizard people are kind of after your time. So, the, you know, you weren't, last time we were talking, I mean, I, I don't think Q even was in anyone's consciousness, and I've never heard you talk about Tom Hanks's eating children or JFK Jr. coming back to life or 5G or, you know, those kind of ladder-born ideas that seem very, or anti-vax, anti-mask, the kind of things that kind of got kitchen synced in with some of the earlier, earlier set of far-right beliefs. I mean, what what's that been like to see that evolve? And did someone like Baked Alaska, who started with you, um, you know, did he st- as as you de-radicalized? Did they kind of put their radicalization on steroids? Well, um, I mentioned before in different threads, like how there's actually different factions of MAGA. You know, that you have your like your uh, neocons, your Israel firsters, your um, you know, those guys, and they have like your alternate right guys, and then you have the Q- QAnon people, and they're different, different factions, different disagreements and policies. And then you have like, the, you know, then you have the really far out conspiracies, which, you know, there's most of most, uh, Trump's base at the time. I, I, I see how QAnon has grown compared to when I was in MAGA, so that's kind of surprising too. But like when I was in there, it wasn't as big of a faction. That was Baked Alaska. Oh, yeah. So Baked Alaska, who is that? He is a known probably white supremacist. And we first had an altercation because I'm Jewish and he's a white supremacist. And he has some like anti-Semitic memes. And I sort of, you know, going after him and we sort of went at each other. And then I guess we both realized that we both supported Trump. And Mm -hmm. um, so we were just sort of like, you know what? Hey, we're on the same team here. Uh, liberals, Democrats, you know, all those guys are like the bigger, you know, are more of a threat than you and I are. So we kind of work things out. Um, we sort of, you know, put our, our differences aside. So we want to, uh, you know, help support Trump and help, you know, the America First agenda and different things like that. So we, we both agreed to put our differences aside and we joined forces. Where did that happen? Some of it happened on Twitter. If you were to see some of our mention, you know, my mentions uh, and his mentions, mm-hmm. you will see. I know he's a, I know he's been suspended for a long time mm-hmm. from Twitter, but uh, before that, you can see how our mentions interacted, and then you know that means we end each other. Because um, I, I I know I guess I just sort of I don't know it sort of made sense at the time. Like oh you know what you're right you know I. I see how you guys are coming because, you know, they want to get 
Jewish people as well as, you know, white people. I guess white people feel victim bias in many ways. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, you know, we both have a common goal. We both support the same president. Let's work together. And he actually got me a spot on Gavin McInnes' show. Yeah. This is the founder of the Proud Boys and also formerly of Vice. And then he moved farther and farther to the right to the Proud Boys and became kind of celebrity uh, number one in that group, but that now has backed away from the Proud Boys. Um, but anyway, so go on. You got to be on his show, which was for someone on the far right, a big deal. Yeah, it's definitely, especially being a Jew. Mm-hmm. And I mean, talking about, I, you know, how I defended, I defended Trump against when people calling him, you know, cool and to Hitler and different things like that. And how I said how the anti-Semitic card is overplayed, you know, different things like mm-hmm. that, you know, which, you know, how they were saying how Proud Boys were white supremacist and anti-Semitic. And I, you know, I defended it because I, you know, because we're both supporting Trump, you know, we're both in the same team. Why let them get, criticize for defending America is that's what that's what the right things you know they believe that their ideals is like defending you know the one America way of life yeah did you begin to feel uneasy in that role um as kind of the the house Jew that was supposed to speak and and kind of exonerate um the movement for its anti-semitism just by your mere presence a little bit, but then it was like, you know what, facts don't care about your feelings. You know, that's that's the mentality of the right. So it's like, you know, suck it up, drive on, you know, we got a mission. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Baked Alaska, of course, was the subject of a Ben Smith column in the New York Times over uh, in the last few days um, because Ben had worked with him at BuzzFeed where he was pretty good I think Ben calls him a natural for BuzzFeed because he was able to create viral content. And then his real name is something like Antim Genet. He moved on as Baked Alaska to make increasingly far-right content. And then, you know, up to including becoming tour manager for Milo Yiannopoulos and then joining the the siege. Um, so that was that's kind of like an alternate, could have been another path for you had you stayed side by side with him? Because you're also pretty good at um, sort of understanding the internet and internet memes. I mean, very good at it. It's just, it took you in another direction. Yeah, and it's, it definitely is mind-blowing, especially when I saw him there. And I kind of think like, oh my God, you know, what if, you know? I mean, so it's, it's definitely, it was definitely mind-boggling seeing that and seeing him there. Um, you know, people that he actually knew that you worked with and, you know, they're doing something crazy like this. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what if, you know, 
that could have been me possibly i mean i mean personally i don't think i would actually like hurt anyone you know like how they did but mm. the, the fact that i would i would be there supporting that cause you know sort of mm-hmm. you know my only thing about you and i have talked about kind of we've talked about the indoctrination and possibly the vulnerabilities to indoctrination that some young men have. It seems like some people and uh, baked Alaska might be among them become just super interested in the kind of trolling and performance art of disturbing the equilibrium of those in the media or, you know, people on Twitter. And, you know, I know your, your de-radicalization began when you were complaining about the uneven treatment of right-wing voices on Twitter versus left-wing ones and saying that, you know, you had a political following too and deserved uh, a blue check mark to have your account verified. And that's how you got into conversation, I think, with some some blue check marks on the left, right? So it's like sort of part of this is trolling. You described yourself as a troll. Yeah. And trolling, you know, is fun. And some of these guys seem to be in it for fun. You know, even on Parler are saying, I don't believe any of this stuff, but man, it, those liberal tears are sweet. So that seems to be part of it. Exactly. It's a lot of it's reaction. Getting the reaction, right. But then also, you've described, and Christian Picciolini, who we've had on the show, former skinhead, has described a kind of trauma that was a breeding ground for, you know, views grounded in resentment and fear. You know, are you prepared to talk a little bit more about that trauma? I know you've been wrestling with it. Absolutely. As far as the fear of what we thought what Democrats were about, if I'm understanding what you mean, or... Yeah, I mean, after you got back from Afghanistan, you know, you had a family, you had terrible experiences, as everyone did in the war, been exposed to lots of violence, and those things somehow came into play when you started watching Hannity, as I understand it. Is that correct? Correct. Um, I mean, you know, being in the military, being in a deploying, you know, um, I was deployed into, you know, two wars, um, you know, Afghanistan, you know, and, you know, Muslim country. So it was sort of, you know, especially, you know, I was in the military when 9-11 happened. And, you know, so I had this sort of stigma on Islam. And, you know, when I, you know, watched Hannity, you know, watch, you know, and it's more than just Hannity. There's conservative media is very, very good at uh, sharing their message out to people it is very 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 to say very similar and it sort of made it sort of helped make the group called the tea party uh the tea party is like the first you know it was, it was before MAGA. um a lot of it because a lot of that's where the conspiracy has really started happening and yeah i mean any terror attack or any incident like you would say you know it was an islamic terror you know, BLM are yeah. Marxist, and and it, and it plays a part with your PTSD, especially. You know, that's I think that's why a lot of veterans are in MAGA because they think that the Democrats don't like the military. They believe the propaganda of President Obama weakening the military, and you know, you know how if you support the military, how can you be a Democrat? You, you know, Republican. That's a Republican talking point. It took a lot to uh, bring my own wall down. And then seeing seeing what other people go through compared to my own bubble, and a lot of it is like a lot of it is bad, you know. 
they think about their own family, they think about their own friends, their own own lives, and they don't realize, like, holy crap, you know, a person can, you know, you know, say a black person can call the cops and get shot by a cop just because they're black, you know, as a, as a white conservative person, you, you don't think that because, you know, you don't, you don't experience, experience it. Mm-hmm. It's extraordinarily valuable to have you to be able to tell these stories and give the inside interior experience of this kind of radicalization. Sometimes the ideology, the current far-right ideology, seems so confusing that it's just not worth sorting out the lizard people from the JFK resurrection people. But at the same time, there are ideological positions that are coherent, including your own kind of anti-Islam, maybe clash of civilizations that, you know, you were Israel first and you could easily draw a line between even the Saudi attackers, terrorists on 9-11 to, you know, those who support the Palestinians. And it made a certain kind of sense and coherence. The thing about from is that, you know, Trump has been indifferent to Islamic terrorism in spite of his campaign and quickly would sort of merge together Muslims and Mexicans, you know, coming over the country. He tried the Muslim ban, and he seemed to have dropped a lot of the Tea Party obsession with Islam and with Islamists. The fact that some people hung on after that, when all of a sudden, you know, up to and including attacking police officers at the Capitol, it's hard to draw a straight line from extreme patriotism, jingoism, hatred of Islam, uh, Israel first, to why you should sack the U.S. Capitol with and kill police officers. It's just the connections are so opaque and confusing to someone from the outside. I guess my question for you is, I know there are many reasons you made your change, but because you are have ideological, com- real ideological commitments, did the shift in focus of the far right, of MAGA, affect your, is that where you began to see this made no sense? Or is it where you said, you know, they're not for what I'm for. Like, I'm now in bed with neo-Nazis. Or I'm not, like, I'm not doing anything for Israel by, you know, advocating Kyle Rittenhouse and beating up Black people. Yes, it was a combination. It was a combination, okay. Yeah, it was a combination. There was... Like, my view of patriotism was completely different. Even though I was, like, an Israel firster, I was still, like, very patriotic. Or, you know, what I thought was okay. patriotic. Like, you know, stand for the flag, stand for the, you know, anthem. You know, those are patriotic things. It's wrong to kneel. Even though actual actual patriotism, you know, you respect people's right to protest. Yeah. Even though you might not agree with it. So... You know, through after through the initial dialogue, I started talking, you know, talking with other people, with other. You know, I actually spoke with people from the Women's March and learned about, you know, systemic racism. You know, you know, why Kaepernick kneels. In you know, I was like thinking, like, and I was kind of surprised that you know, this was actually happening. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so it was completely shocking to me because you know, you know, you know, you never see that side like on conservative media. Hmm. You know, you you always see the destruction. You know, the one picture or two pictures of, you know, Black Lives Matter, and that's why people think, oh, that's what they represent. But you don't see why, you don't see why they're protesting. Mm-hmm. 
And when I was seeing that, I couldn't believe it. And then I was like, you know, and in, in the beginning of my journey, I still didn't quite like sort of agree with them, you know, kneeling. But I was like, you know what? You know, I'm an American veteran and I support free speech, even though I disagree with it. But, you know, they have the right to, they have the right to protest. They have the right to speak out. And that was sort of like my change of my worldview um, of patriotism, actual patriotism compared to fake patriotism. And I sort of began to learn, you know, the difference between the two. So, yes, uh, a lot of it, a lot of it was different worldview, different outlooks. Um, you know, I've spoken to, you know, Muslims, I've spoken to um, people of color and learning, you know, I began to really branch out, and then and then I got to come to a point where you know what? Yeah, I'm done with I'm done with you know the supremacist and you know hate is hate. You know, no matter you should call it out. You know, saying it's wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was it was sort of like a, a shift in my worldview, and uh, I just decided that I don't want to be part of any hate group as well. So this is a dicey question, I guess, that everyone's trying to figure out, but. Do you think there have been members of the military or police forces who encouraged this, went along with this? Obviously, we're getting all kinds of fragments of breaking news that police may have been in on it, veterans, and even some people serving in the military right now or and, and the Capitol Police. I mean, how far does the infiltration by white supremacists of the police force and even the military go? so much that they also might want sedition. Uh, it can it can go very deep. I mean just, I mean look at, you can see the systemic racism in a police force clearly. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean now I do. Yeah. But I mean active white supremacists who might use their weapons against Black Lives Matter protesters or even against sitting Congress people. And something like how how many or I mean if you were thinking about veterans that you knew I mean, did you see actual sedition flying the Confederate flag at the U.S. Capitol as kind of on a continuum with the behavior that you saw in the military and among veterans? Yeah, as, as far as he, when I saw that the uh, videos and the pictures, I don't believe I'd seen anyone I knew specifically, but it was. Um, I can I can understand uh, why they would actually do that. Mm-hmm. You know, coming from that world. Uh, uh, because this really is a totally different worldview. So the U.S. military, you really think U.S. military, the U.S. military and, um, I mean, let's leave out police forces because that's not your experience, but the U.S. military could be radicalizing people against the United States? Um, not as, like, the military as a whole, but maybe in the individual basis. I know I, I made contacts with uh, Malcolm Nance and a few other people and learning about that side, I think they're called boogaloos. Right, boogaloo. Yeah, boogaloo. That's it. And there is actual sort of an infiltration in the military. So it's not like it's not the military itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just individuals that are taking advantage. Um, I mean, I, I, I even had a conversation with my mo- with my mom, who's a conservative and close supporter, but she's like, you know, when we see how there was like a lieutenant colonel that was part of part of that insurrection, she's like, well, you know what? You know, the military, you know, they're still human. I mean, military members can accuse them of rape, crimes, murder. They're still people. And then I was like, you know what? Yeah, that's, that is true. Military members are still people, even though 
we do look, you know, we do set, set give them a higher standard, uh, you know, morality. But yeah, I mean, they're still, they're still people. They're still human. They, you know, they can, you know, make mistakes just like anybody else. And that's why there's like so many rules there that, you know, if they get caught, you know, they can get court martial or, you know, different actions taken on them if they want to break rules. Right. So since most of your right-wing activism was conducted, most if not all was conducted online, this translation that Boogaloo, for instance, is trying to make from online activism to out-and-out armed sedition and war, using in some cases people with actual military or police training, and sometimes even with the cooperation of police, uh, individual police officers. So that's, I think, a bridge too far. I mean, you used war as a kind of metaphor, although correct me if I'm wrong, but, or were you building like an arsenal so that you could join up, you know, attacking or in terrorist attacks or, I mean, do you feel like you were moving in that direction? Yeah, it seemed like it. It seemed like it was moving in the right direction. I mean, you know, people... You will, yourself. Well, yeah, I mean, they really started brainwashing you thinking that, like, this sort of nationalism is patriotism. So it, so you're thinking to yourself that you're going to you go out to defend your country. So mm-hmm. that's why, you know, you know, you link up with people. And, when you, and that's why people have, you know, NRA memberships and they stock up on weapons and different things like that. I mean, there are people that really think that it's possible that you would defend yourself in conflict. So the Boogaloo's, the Proud Boys, Baked Alaska, the Oath, Oath Keepers, and of course Donald Trump himself have been deplatformed or kicked off mainstream platforms. Um, Parler, I don't know the status of Gab right now. So where have they gone? And if they are gearing up for another move, this so-called million militia march on the day of Joe Biden's inauguration, where are they gathering? Where are they recruiting? Do you have exposure at all to any of that online and real-world action? Not exactly. I mean, I, there's been a few people that I still stay in contact with, but as far as like the planning and talking about what's going on you know i'm sort of concerned as a trainer (laughs) trainer so so you don't hear that much but do you did you even join parlor or take a look at it oh no no okay and where were you organizing i mean i know you would meet up in dms when you were trolling for trump in maga with the maga crowd and you would sort of decide how to use twitter were you using other Message boards. Oh, yeah, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I was in a bunch of different Facebook groups. Okay. I was Trump supporting. I was very, very active on social media. Are you starting to feel, it's funny, because I can really almost tell in in the way you talk, having seen you through this journey, are you starting to feel like kind of a, a, a former, as they say in the cult world, who's like really pretty far from, or, you know, it's really, it seems to be more and more in the rear view mirror after, yeah. you know, after a few years out of it. And also, as you say, being treated as a traitor. I mean, I saw that, you know, one thing that's missing sometimes from these stories is the, the, uh, the death threats um, are, you know, in some cases, even more intense for people who broke with this rather than people, you know, who kind of have been skeptical of it all along. And I know it's been hell for you with your old crowd. Definitely. I mean, they, you know, been trolled, death threats, you know, personal attacks, you know, even my kids were exploited, you know, in some ways. And it's it's been pretty intense. And, 
and yeah, I, and really demoralizing, right? You know, oh yeah, and you know, it wasn't you know, I, it wasn't for the fact that the amazing people that I that I connected myself with, you know, have given me a really strength to continue. And I see people, you know, like AOC or you know Chelsea Clinton and others, how they just you know, how they just, you know, continue to stay, stay in the course. And I was like, man, if they can do it, you know, so can I. And, you know, I just keep going at it. And then I got to a point now where I just like, it's just white noise. I, you know, I didn't see it Yeah, because I know who I am. People know who I am. Yeah. And yeah, I, I sometimes I'll bring it out old speed of mine, you know, to help give people insight of what's going on now. And, and it's like, man, I'm not even that person anymore. And it doesn't even, you're right. It's sort of like, you know, a former, you know, this, I, feel, you know, I feel like a different person, you know, I, I care about, you know, so many different things, you know, and I, you know, learning what real patriotism is about, real love for country, um, learning that, you know, I, I do have a sense of privilege and, you know, when people fight for other rights or, you know, when people get other opportunities, it's not always about me, you know, but I realize that the Democratic Party, I mean, of course, they're not perfect. I mean, people are people and but it's, they're not like the demonization that, you know, right-wing media, right, you know, Republicans make them out to be. And, you know, I realize, you know, when you fight for rights of others, you know, it's not a, an infringement on people who have rights. And you can clearly see when you, when you have eyes open to so the world around you, you clearly see that they're still, I mean, yeah, I mean, you learn about, you sort of relearn about the history of our country and how it wasn't always built on just freedom, you know, they had, there's a lot of flaws, so it, the Constitution had flaws, mm-hmm. why, you know, they had to make amendments to make it the document it is now, and you just have a, you know, different worldview, different outlook, and it changes you, and it, I think it changes you for the, for the better, you know, when you when you can see that. I know that I was, I was last time you were on the show and other times I've, uh, there's two ways that I feel like I always ask you a question and you always answer truthfully, even though you know, you're probably disappointing me. Last time I kept asking you, has there been an element of, I don't know if I said euphoria or just um, well-being that has followed your breaking with the right. And then I think it was two years ago or something, you said, I wouldn't go that far. You know, it wouldn't go that far, not quite to relief. But now you're sounding a, a bit more, I don't want to push you, but a bit more like you're just, you sound like, you sound good, you know? You sound like this has been a period of growth for you. And I know you have a new relationship and, you know, you did some work for Elizabeth Warren and then you've been right behind Biden. And maybe, I don't know, you just seem like really settled in your life. Am I right about that? Or is it still... Are you still anxious? You're definitely right for the most part. You know, I've gotten, I've gotten healthy, uh, physically, emotionally, and I, you know, I have a new, you know, career goals in life, you know, new purposes. So yeah, I, I'm definitely at a better place mentally, and and I haven't looked back since. And I, I know that I made the right decision in going this way, and it's, it's been amazing. It's been an amazing journey, and and you know, I, I continue to learn, I continue to dialogue, and you know, I even dialogue with. Few Trumpers that are have been civil, and I encourage that. I mean, because I, in a way, I, I don't personally blame them. You know, I don't blame a lot of, but you know, the media and officials, and so I, you know, I kind of hold them accountable. But yeah. you know, as far as the regular voters, you know, I, you know, I kind of like realize no, it's not their fault, except except for the ones that actually commit the terrorism that we saw in Capitol. That's that's like a whole new level. Um, you know, you know those. Those people, uh, and that's a totally 
different and 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 i so yeah it's been an amazing journey you know i'm happier um i'm not angry no i don't i don't hate i mean there's a difference between like holding people accountable and then just pure hating yeah and and i'm learning the difference and i feel more in control of my emotions and it's it's been amazing David Weissman is a student, a former Trump troll, and a U.S. Army veteran. Thanks so much for being Thank you for having me on again. It's a pleasure talking to you. And that's it for today's show. We're getting ready to unveil our plans for the future soon. We'll announce them here, and you can come out to Twitter to keep your eyes peeled for more. I'm at page 88. The show is at Real Trumpcast. Our show today was produced by Melissa Kaplan and engineered by Richard Stanislaw. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Stay safe this week, and thanks for listening to Trumpcast.